Coming up on the BS Podcast, we're going to be talking about the NHL regular season and the Winter Olympic. Oh, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to talk NBA. Yeah. What did you think you were going to get? NBA coming up next. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is stressful enough just with the airport situation. No matter where you're going, it's always packed. You're always worried the weather might be bad. Is my plane going to get delayed? You just want the actual place you're staying at to be a lights out experience. So if you've booked a vacation rental and you found yourself stuck making small talk with the host or you've arrived to find out it doesn't look anything like the pictures, you know, that's that's the worst. You could avoid the awkwardness with Verbo. Verbo has helped travelers find great private vacation rentals for nearly 30 years. You heard me correctly. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your private vacation rental in the Verbo app. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where we are still doing F'd Up Family February and the Rewatchables. Did Parenthood on Monday have Kramer versus Kramer coming up? this Monday. Stay tuned for that. And you should be checking out the Just Like Us podcast, which is on the Ringer Dish feed. It is hosted by Claire Malone. It's a narrative podcast diving into tabloid culture in the 2000s. It's really good. Check that out. Uh, Brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook as well. I missed on my same game parlay on Wednesday night. I ended up doing a Wizards Pacers thing because I really wanted to do a Lakers Jazz game. I was all excited about it because I was going to the Lakers Jazz game and I was going to do a Lakers money line bet with LeBron and I, Davis probably would have been in it and he got hurt. So I would have lost it anyway. But, um, but that was, that was a bummer because I did Washington. Joe house told me, wait a second, why'd you bet on Washington? And of course they lost. So now I owe you one. I'm going to do something for all-star weekend. I'm going to be on the gambling feed, the ringer gambling show with John Jastrzemski and Joe house on Friday. And we're going to figure out all-star weekend bets. So stay tuned for that. Friday, Ringer Gambling Show, me, Joe House, and JJ. And uh, we're going to have all kinds of all-star bets for you. Coming up on this podcast, Harala Bob Valgaris, a.k.a. Bob Valgaris, a.k.a. H-Bob, H-K-A, one of my favorite NBA guests. He is coming up. We'll talk trade deadline, playoff predictions, why Dallas got rid of Porzingis, Ken Harden saved the Sixers, all kinds of stuff. It's all next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, my friend Bob Valgaris is here. He came on, I think, before one of the holidays. And then he just goes. He's just off. I don't know where he goes. He does stuff, travels, has this great life. Then comes back and immerses himself 
into the NBA season again. This is your first trade deadline. You weren't working for a team in a couple of years, right? Yeah, correct. Uh, easier. Yeah, easier for you probably, I'm betting. Yeah, I mean, I think the last last few deadlines are pretty tame, if I remember correctly, for us. For the yeah, Mavericks. I think they and were. Then, yeah, and then, of course, there was the one three years ago. That was pretty pretty surprising. So what was your biggest surprise from the trade deadline, just going backwards? Was it the Halliburton trade? Was it that they pulled off the Harden trade or that somebody didn't make a trade? What was it? Yeah, I think, I mean, that the Lakers weren't able to trade uh, anything, I think, or, or make a deal. I think that was a little bit surprising just because I guess they're just trying to run it back. But if you look at their their roster, there's not a whole lot they can do. I mean, they, there really isn't. I mean, unless you can find someone who wants to take Westbrook or something like that, there's probably not a deal to be had. A lot of their contracts are are either too small or, or, or really big. So it can be difficult. Um, I think, yeah, the, the Sacramento-Indiana trade, I think, was pretty surprising. Um, although understandable, I guess, from from both teams' perspectives. Uh, and then, of course, the... Yeah, the, uh, the the Mavericks trade was pretty was pretty shocking, I think. Yeah, let's ways. start with that because you used to work for the Mavericks, but more importantly, like the the Porzingis piece of it yet, because to me, it just seemed like they they were kind of just getting out of the Porzingis business and taking what they could get, and that maybe they just didn't trust him physically anymore, and that if you could turn him into two smaller contracts, hope that Bertans made a miraculous comeback into the shooter he was three years ago. And then Dinwiddie gives them at least a backup guard who could do some stuff. To them, that was just more palatable than rolling the dice with Porzingis for even three more months. It just seemed like they wanted out. Yeah, I think it's, there's definitely, I mean, you kind of nailed it. There's, it's, it's, it's certainly a lot easier to trade one smaller contract and two smaller contracts than one big contract. I'm not, I mean, I don't know. I, I, a lot of people are saying this Berton's contract's like one of the worst contracts in the NBA. I just don't. I just don't see it. I mean, I don't see how it's a bad contract. He's only getting 16 million a year. Last year of his deal, I think, is only partially guaranteed for like 5 million or something. Um, and then, yeah, then there's also like you even mentioned it, like if he can get back to be the shooter he was three years ago, well, I mean, he really has shot well every year with the exception of this year. It's not like yeah. I mean, he shot 40%, I believe, last year. So he doesn't have to get back to the guy he was three years ago. He just has to get back to the guy he was before this year. And I think like when you're primarily a three point shooter, as as teams have witnessed, I mean, the variance, if you're shooting almost all your attempts from three, there's going to be massive variance in like a 30 or 40 game sample. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, for me, I think they, I mean, I'm, as this is as an outsider, I, I think part of it is they want to retain Dorian Finney-Smith. They want to retain him and also, I guess, be able to offer Jalen Brunson a contract in free agency. And so doing that and having the KP contract on the books made that difficult. And now I guess they figure they can pivot with these two smaller contracts. They can make a decision in the summer, uh, whether they want to keep Dinwiddie or move Dinwiddie or, 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 you know, sign Brunson or not sign Brunson. They'll have a lot more information, a lot more flexibility, I guess. And I think that's probably a more measured approach than what they've done in the past, which is kind of just like impulsively make things happen and, and, and try to, you know, quickly cobble together a, a team without really, you know, being too thoughtful on what, what, what we're looking at three, four years down the road. Well, it seems like the team they have now is just space for Luca, right? And yeah. this was the, the last obstacle to that was Porzingis and trying to always have to shoehorn and get his touches and run the, yeah. run the Porzingis post plays. Now you just don't have to worry about that anymore. 
Yeah, it just frees you up a little bit more. I mean, look, the, the part that people don't really talk about enough, I think, is that he, he has been compromised physically for a number of years now. And like, especially last year, he wasn't 100%. I think that, that seems obvious. This year, he seems to be much better, but then he, he ran to another injury. He's constantly had bad injury luck. And so hopefully that turns for him at some point uh, down the line. But it just wasn't really like, if you look at the team that they're, I don't know, the idea that, 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 that he was going to be the running mate for Luca, I didn't really ever, I don't know. I mean, it just, the deal happened, the rookie, the all-star break of, of Luca's rookie season. You didn't even really know what you had in Luca at that point. You know, why, yeah. why are you, why are you rushing to, to pair him with another player? Um, but yeah, they're moving on from it. I mean, the team is playing well. They're defending at a very, very high level. If you watch them play, they, they seem to yeah. be a lot better than they have in years past. And so that's, that's definitely a bonus for the coaching staff, which I think a lot of people were mocking the head coach decision that they made. And now it seems to be the team certainly is playing better. So um, there's that. I'm taking the loss on the Porzingis trade, the original one to Dallas, because I, I was a huge fan of his. I, I think the part I underestimated was he just never recovered from that knee injury, which I think, I think as I try to, you know, I'd like to think I'm still getting smarter about basketball even as I get older. But I, I think one of the things I would really worry about, and maybe I wasn't worried about it enough, is just when you have these super tall guys, when they have that first really bad injury, I think, you know, we, we've seen it just in general with the with Yao and with Ralph Sampson and Arvita Sabonis and these big-ass dudes. Now, Embiid is kind of an outlier, right? Because Embiid has been able to play 75 to 80% of his games, and he seems like he's in good shape. Recently, he had though, some... he wasn't, recently, he wasn't able to before. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's there's the frame. Embiid's just a lot thicker. He's a lot, you know, he's a lot bigger. I mean, that might might that might have some negatives down the road. I don't know, man. It, I, I think there's so few players that are that tall to draw conclusions from, but there has been a, you know, it does look like players that are taller don't last as long in the league. They're not as durable, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I didn't have any involvement in the trade itself, but I did, yeah. I did. He was a, a, like either like one of, or if not the number one restricted free agent that I wanted to look at, at the next, the next year. Uh, and so that was kind of my input on the deal. I think I sent an email a couple weeks or maybe a month beforehand, just like ranking the restricted free agents that were coming up and he was up there near the top. And then I wake up one day <laughs> and, then, and then we've got four things on the roster, which is, you know, that's kind of exciting. I definitely wasn't disappointed when it happened. I think there's like a couple of things you can look at. Like one, it's a huge contract. You better be sure that two can fit together. The other thing is like the, I didn't understand. And then this will be the last little bit. I think we can talk about this, but the, the, la- the part that I didn't understand is like, what was the, what was the people haven't really talked about what was the need to sign them to a five-year deal? You had his whole point of making the trade is to have his restricted free agent rights. Got injury concerns, sign him to a four-year deal. Maybe if he agrees to a team option, probably not. I don't know. But just the idea that I, I get that you want to like show appreciation and give him a five-year contract, but that became the most difficult part because that fifth year fully guaranteed for a player who has injury history is just, I mean, kudos to the ownership for wanting to stand up and 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 do well by their players, but it didn't seem like it made sense. No one else could offer him five years if we we're just kind of competing against ourselves in that regard. But you know, it's kind of what happened. Well, it's interesting because Phoenix was in a similar situation with DeAndre Ayton, right? Last before the season started, and they decided to punt on it until the summer. Sure. And I think I'm not the only one who heard there were whispers of I don't think they were trying to trade him before the deadline, but I don't 
I don't think they were slamming the phone down. And yeah. in, general, in general, in general, it it raised flags for me because yeah, and you, I like the Bridges extension more than you, but you basically have three and a half max guys if you're going to give eight in an extension. If you include Paul and you include Booker. Sure. And we've just seen that. We've never seen that Phoenix owner ever want to spend that kind of money. So in general, them shoving off that decision to next summer, them not extending Jalen Smith for a third-year option, that's like just a no-brainer. Like, hey, he, you never don't renew the third-year option unless the guy has like legitimate issues. Um, yeah. And it just, yeah, it just, it stinks to me of cost-saving, which is why I think, like, I really wonder, like, could this be the last season we see with this fantastic Phoenix team with all those pieces in place. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think there's a at least a slim chance that next year's team will look different. Yeah, definitely possible. I mean, I don't know where you got the, the just on Bridges. I love the Bridges deal. I don't have any problem with the Bridges deal. I've always been a Mikel Bridges guy, even back to when he was in college. So yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever... I got, I've, it. I've, I got it from our text because we were arguing about it. No, I don't know. I mean, I, I think like, I, I definitely didn't say that they paid too much for him. I just thought it was like the timing of it wasn't necessarily ideal. All right. Yeah. But there's, 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 um, yeah, whether the team will be able to be the same team next year, who knows? I mean, Chris Paul is also still getting it up there in age. I think the thing about centers is like a guy like, obviously, Aiton's very valuable to them. Is do you want to lock up a lot of money on centers when, as you mentioned, like the wings are the real, value in the league like if you just need a yeah. bunch of wings a lot of teams are going are going that there's very few teams that need or very, very few opponents that require a, a big center to combat like Embiid's probably and Jokic those are the two guys that you have to game plan for as centers the rest are just kind of like you know the difference between a guy making 25 30 million a year versus a guy making like the mid-level as at the center position there's not a whole lot of difference so it's well, you really want to invest well, that much money in bigs unless they're like absolutely dominant offensively or defensively. You and I agree on this. It seems like I think that's one of the ways the league has changed dramatically in the last eight years where the center, just the, sa the salary for the average decent center yeah. has just cratered because you can only, it's the days of like the Roy Hibbert final, uh, Eastern finals, like those days are long gone. You know, like you yeah. don't really need more than two centers on your roster. You can't really play more than one big guy at a time. The only thing that really has been able to pull it off this year has been Cleveland. So like yeah. when the Celtics signed Robert Williams to their extension, which I think was like four years, 48. And I was like, Jesus, like this guy can't stay on the court and we're overpaying for that position. And I was dead wrong. Like he made a, he made a huge leap this year and he's been a really valuable asset at, I think it's 12 million a year. Like it's, it's an absolute bargain. But then there's many other cases where you're like, oh my God. That yeah, guy's yeah. making 12. That guy's making 15. It's rough. Yeah, I think it's a tough one. I think there's like a thought that that centers are kind of like the running back of the NBA where you can just, you don't need to pay a lot for a running back. You can just get a run-of-the-mill running back. I think that's kind of the thinking. I think also the prevalence of the three-point shooting and more space. I mean, I think in the past, there was almost just like a rule that was like kind of unspoken. People just kind of went because it, it was just kind of consensus. This is how we do things. Oh, we need to have a center. like. Oh, Kendrick Perkins has to start. We got to play. We're Oklahoma City. We got to play Kendrick Perkins. They're starting Jane Badier. Well, we still have to start Kendrick Perkins, right? Isn't there a rule that says that we have to start like the biggest guy on our team has to play? And I think basketball was always kind of that way. You had, you know, the 
big center battles back in the day, like Patrick Ewing, Matumbo, Olajuwon. There was like a lot more skill at the center position. And now they're just, it seems like they're much more rarer to find a center come in and be super, super skilled. Like Embiid, when he first came into the league, was pretty raw, but he was still quite skilled. Now he's like perfected the craft or, yeah. or on his way to perfecting the craft of like offensive game, drop steps, you know, drawing free throws. So, but guys like that are very rare. I mean, there's there's two in the league probably and the rest are well, all just run-of-the-mill centers. What's funny is there's really three because I don't think we consider Giannis a center, but he's a center. He yeah, just yeah, but he's a ball handling, yeah. No, I get it, it, but he's like... Technically, he's a center. He's a 2022 center, but nobody thinks of him that way. But yet, if you look at his stats compared to 1999, 2000 Shaq, it's pretty similar all the way across the board. Yeah, that's the point we're making where you don't need like a a center where it's like you toss the ball into him in the post. Like basically like a center who's not bringing the ball up the court, who's not initiating offense. And even Jokic is kind of like, Jokic isn't even really a center when you look at it that way either. He's he's like the point guard. He's like a point forward. So it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty rare to have a guy who just, you know, Gobert is like really the exception to the rule of like players getting paid that are just sent. Like Gobert doesn't really do a whole lot on offense, set screens, rebounds, and defends, and that's it. And you could argue that his contract is is probably one of the few ones that's kind of payable because of his defensive impact. I want to go back to Gobert in a second because I had an additional thing on him. But we're talking about, so Porzingis, and I think that extension was like 2018. Yeah. It was right at the tail end of when set the concept of a center, I think, was still pretty seductive. And in his case, like, oh my God, he's a stretch. He's basically the greatest stretch five we ever could have created. On the one end, he can space the floor. And on the other end, he can actually be your defensive anchor yeah. on paper, right? And But at the same time, the league is changing and, and Dallas is caught up in this no man's land where the league hasn't totally changed yet, but you can kind of feel it's changing. So I, I can't fault the thinking of the Porzingis thing. Cause I was right there with it from what we saw at the Knicks. What's interesting though, is I think it, everyone points to the Hibbert series, including me, like those two Hibbert series, like, Oh my God. And then the next year Atlanta played him off the floor and everything was different. The 2008 Celtics. And I knew you were gambling at during this point but they would play these big lineups like you were talking about because that's what we're supposed to do. And you play Big Baby and Perk together and you play Leon Poe and KG and and Perk and they all three of them would be out there. And I would always, the best lineup they always had was when they went small. And they finally, in the Lakers comeback game in game four, they said, fuck it. And it was like Garnett, Pierce and shooters, right? It was Garnett, Pierce, Allen, Eddie House, James Posey. And they're like running the Lakers off the floor. And then next game, it's like, no, got to play Leon Poe again, more big baby. And it was like, the answer was, the recipe was right there the whole time. And that now I look back at that 08 Celtics team. I'm like, that was like, could have been one of the better small ball teams because they had all the pieces for it. But I don't think people realize what it was in the moment, I guess is my point. Yeah, I think the other team that people talk about is or is the Magic who just had. I mean, they had a center. Right, oh nine. Right. Yeah, but it was but it was just Dwight with shooters basically. Like Rashard Lewis was the four, and that was like such. Oh my God, we're playing a a non traditional back to the yeah. basket four. What is going on here? Like a stretch he, four. The idea of Turkey lose. Yeah, Turkey lose playmaking, and what is this six nine yeah. point point forward? I think sure. the 2010 finals was the last old school finals. I think you, you could make a clear demarcation from that finals and then everything afterwards for like, look at that 11 Dallas team that won 
and look at that Miami team that was basically Bosch at center effectively, right? Yeah. well, but, just but the other, the league their shifts. opponent was the, their opponent was was rolling out Abaca and Perkins, so it wasn't like I think. True. Yeah, I mean, I think Miami. There, I don't know if that was the. I believe that was the year they played um, Oklahoma City, but I that was that was 2012. Was, it was Miami Dallas. Then the 2012 yeah, was yeah, Miami I'm OKC. Just, I'm, just, I'm just wondering, was that the year Bosch got hurt or not? I can't remember if that was the year Bosch got hurt. I believe so, and that kind of forced them to go small, and then they kind of realized, like, oh, how good are we now that we're small? Um, that was 13. That was when they took their, they had their winning streak and all that stuff. When they basically, the 13 Heat, I think, are the first team that really mastered small ball, at least hmm. during the regular season, where they were like, look at this. Nobody can match up with this. And now. What about the Phoenix Suns, the run and gun Phoenix Suns? They might have mastered small ball, right? I mean, we forgot about right. them. Well, yeah. they would still, like, they would shoehorn the Oliver Miller 20 minutes in and the stuff like no, that. You're talking no, about the Barkley no. team or after? No, I'm talking about I'm talking about the seven seconds or less. Amari Stoudemire. Oh, the oh, six yeah. sons. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Borstiel's center when they were when 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 Stoudemire went injured. Remember, Borstiel was their center for a while. Sean Marion was at the four, so that was probably the first one. I think looking back, I enjoyed that team. That team was fun. That I was, remember, yeah, that, yeah, that was a fun team. They were. Um, it's funny because looking back, like they didn't even really shoot that many threes or play that fast relative to what's happening right now. Like right now, I think they would be like in the bottom third of the league in pace. No, the, I looked this up. I think they'd be, at least for threes, they'd be like last. Yeah, yeah. I think like every team now shoots more threes than the 2007 Suns. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, there's, it's interesting. I mean, the three-point stuff has just gotten bananas at this point, but it makes sense. I mean, it's basically like a cheat code. You know, like, I don't know if you play video games, but if you ever played video games, like they do patches to update like flaws. Oh, yeah. So yeah. like they they would have nerfed the, the three point shot like a long time ago if it was a video game they'd be like oh yeah this is just too overpowered we gotta take this out of the game if it was a video game because it's just too it's just too much of a cheat code but um, it's interesting to see the teams go that way I want to keep talking about this we're taking a quick break this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer partner of the NBA it's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game and they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? First half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. Coming back, we're talking about like team building and what it's like now versus 2000s. The Spurs, it's so funny how they had all the pieces to have this like incredible dominant small ball team in the entire 2000s, right, with Duncan? You just, and if Duncan, Manu, and Parker by 2004. And at that point, all they had to do was just add shooters and maybe like a hybrid 3-4 kind of Thad Young body type guy and maybe a backup center who could play like 10 minutes a game and that's it. But you weren't thinking about that back then, right? But they, but on paper, all they had to do was just keep adding shooters. I guess they tried with Richard Jefferson. He just didn't play well there. But it's fun to look back at some of those teams and be like, oh, if they had all the information we have now, what would have been you know, their one or two moves? Because they just was the mentality back then. Yeah. Back then it was harder to find shooters too. I mean, you'd had guys who could shoot but couldn't do anything else. Right. Or you had guys who could defend and you you could turn them into a, like a decent 
like maybe a corner three-point shoot. Like Bruce Bowen was a good example of that. Like couldn't shoot free throws, but could shoot corner threes. Couldn't shoot above the break threes, but could shoot corner threes. And so there was guys like that. And then there was the guys that were like, you know, the Matt Carrolls who were really good shooters, but couldn't defend at all or anything like that. Um, yeah. They're literally just shooters. Um, so yeah. The, the team that I really like where the leagues is now, where the league is now because there's so many different kind of styles and types of teams. I was worried like, two years ago that we were just going to turn into this league that just everybody was doing the same thing and everybody was going to shoot 35 threes a game. And it all kind of depended on how good your guy was one-on-one -on -one in the last minute. But I don't feel that way. I actually think there's a lot of different styles and teams. And I think that's why a lot of us have gravitated to watching Memphis and Cleveland and Phoenix. And it, there, there's just weird teams in a good way. I went to Utah Lakers last night. Um, I took, I took my son and all his friends and it was a pretty boring game for three quarters. And then the fourth quarter, LeBron, Aaron Donald was sitting courtside on the side. LeBron was shooting on the fourth quarter and LeBron, because he's one of the best ever, he started feeding off Aaron Donald and just destroys the jazz. But it was the same predicament the jazz have over and over again, right? Where the team went small, Gobert's kind of on an Island, Gobert's coming out challenging LeBron and LeBron's just either shooting threes over him, taking to the basket. And it's like, it's like rinse, lather, repeat with the, with the jazz where they have these leads and they can't, once the team does like this, all right, we'll try this. And then it actually works. I, if you're running the jazz, what would you do? Because I, I don't think they have any chance of winning the title, but the trade deadline passed. I, I just don't like their nucleus. I think they're slow on the perimeter. You could feel it last night. And I just, I don't see it. Am I missing something? No, I mean, but there's very few teams that have a chance to win. The, the title to begin with. I don't know. I, I do think like people have kind of latched on this idea that Gobert gets played off the floor in the playoffs. And if you go back and look at the data, it's like not actually that accurate. He, they have performed better with him on the floor for the most part. There's always stretches where it looks like he's struggling, where he's getting ISOed up versus the guard. But overall, their defense is better with him on the court. Their offense is better with him largely on the court in the playoffs. It's just they're playing teams that are, are very skilled. Um, and our tough matchups for them, or they've had injury injury problems also. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I would do if I were them. I mean, these these teams are at such disadvantages because nobody's like, oh yeah, I can't wait to go, you know, get off my rookie deal so I can go sign in Utah. Like right. no, nobody, no, and, and the other side of that is it's really hard to keep your players too. So they, you know, they had to make a decision. Do they want to not sign Go Bear? Are they ever going to get a player as good as Go Bear in free agency? Probably not. Are they going to be able to get one in the draft? Maybe, but they're not in the tanking situation. So they're going to have to get super, super lucky with a later pick. I don't know. I wouldn't really, I mean, the part that I didn't get is I wasn't a huge fan of, of letting go of Ingles. Um, that to me, I think Ingles is like a valuable player for them. Um, well, but sure. he was out for the year though. True. <laughs> true. You mean like for next year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I guess, I guess my point is like, I, I don't, I don't get the idea of like, I don't know, like what, what is your goal exactly? You're just going to get better this year, not worry about it. Like, do they really think they have a chance to compete this year? Um, I don't know. I mean, it seems difficult. They, yeah, the, the West is kind of like, I mean, there's like a couple, there's two, two, two or three teams in the West that have a legitimate chance. It seems and the rest are just kind of like fighting for a hot streak or get lucky. Um, I don't know. It's, it's tricky. Yeah. I mean, I guess looking back he was injured, so it makes sense, but. Still like well, player. but but they don't get to 
pocket him for next season. I, I guess for what they got, they got Alexander Walker, like whatever. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not really too familiar with, you know, I haven't spent a ton of time researching Mikel Alexander-Walker's game. I mean, some of the ratings are decent. Um, he seems okay. A lot, of the, a lot of the players in New Orleans, I think, were unfairly, or, or not unfairly, but were difficult to kind of judge based on, if you look at like a lot of their the individual players' defensive numbers, for instance, were awful the Van Gundy years. Yeah. Um, because their strategy was just counter to what a lot of teams were doing in the league. And so their defensive rating numbers for a lot of these players took a hit because of their strategy. So he's a guy that might be difficult to evaluate with that when you, when you think of that. Well, that would have been my strategy if I was ever a GM is just target the teams that are a complete mess. You target that, but you also target the GMs who are trying to save their job, who are, who are panicking to make deals because they have to, you know, that, that's where the, there's a huge disconnect between a person who's a general manager of a team who's looking to just get another contract, stay employed. He's not really thinking about the future of the franchise. He's not like a steward of the franchise. That's where it's really, and there's, you know, I'm not going to, but there's definitely been a bunch of instances like that in the last three or four years where guys have just panicked and made all these deals to bloat cap space of their teams, mortgage the future, not necessarily to win now, but just to be good enough so that I can keep my job or make like a big splashy trade to save my job. It's, it's really interesting. So those would be the guys I would target and as well as the teams that are trying to shed salary that aren't really run very well. I feel like I've been writing about those GMs and talking about them on this podcast really for the last two decades. They, it's the guy who is like in, in fuck it mode is the most dangerous person to an NBA franchise. The guy who's like, hey, if this doesn't work, I'm getting fired anyway. And, yeah. you know, that leads to trading for, you know, CJ McCollum, who's going to make $33 million next year. I, I like CJ McCollum, but you do those trades when it's like, if this doesn't work, I'm not going to have a job next year. I'm talking to David Griffin, but that those are, it's almost like a Hail Mary trade. That one, I, trade. Yeah. yeah, that one, look, I not like Josh. Specifically, but the, the yeah, you know what I mean. Trade, you make, yeah, you make a trade that's just like, well, let's hope this works. Otherwise we're not going to be here. It's funny because you don't really think about how difficult these jobs are to get and how much they get paid. And how reasonably rational it is to, to think that way as a normal human being who's thinking about their own autonomy. Like, yeah, I want to keep this job that pays me between three to 10 million a year. Why wouldn't I? Um, but like, from an outsider's perspective, you're not necessarily doing the job you're supposed to do, which is, you know, benefit the team you're employed by. So I got, so, and I'm not saying that Brad Stevens is like this, but the Celtics, I really like the Derek White trade because I like Derek White. He's just like, He's in the right spots. Yeah. He knows how to play. He's fun to play with. I, I get it. And he ha he's had an impact on this team right away. But when we did our whole three-hour trade deadline pod, we didn't realize there was this caveat where they did this top one protected pick swap in 2028 with San Antonio. And my dad texted me and he's like, did you know about, like my dad hates pick swaps more than anything, especially because we were on the other side of one with the Joe John, with the uh, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce trade. He says, you know, we give up a, and I'm looking it up. I'm like, that can't be true, but they did. And it's six years from now. And it's like the cynical side of me is, is I think Brad Stevens has done actually a pretty good job so far revamping this team. But the cynical side of me is like, his kids are going to be grown up in six years. He's probably going to be coaching either some awesome NBA team or the Celtics, or maybe he's coaching Duke or North Carolina. Like, what does he care about a pick swap six yeah. years from now? And I, I just, I never would have done it. I never would have included that. Now, the argument would be, well, we never would have gotten Derek White. I'm like, are we sure? 
we sure that the Spurs would have held the fort on not trading Derek White if the pick Hard swap say, was I mean, in the there? Spurs do not historically make in-season trades. So uh, maybe that's what they needed to get the deal done. Who knows? It's very tough to know. All, all of that's one thing I think is fine is interesting is like especially spending time in a front office and knowing what's happening and then being on the outside and reading what's supposedly happening is just like how, you know, how much misinformation, grasping at straws you have in the media, stuff that's planted. So who knows? Yeah, we will never know what, you know, what with, if the Spurs would have done it or they wouldn't. They only, only a few people know that. And that's probably the people in the Spurs front office. Um, I, but Derek Wright is a very, very, very uh, valuable player in terms of like his numbers are very, like his ratings on our system are very good. He does like all the little things. He's very good defensively. Hasn't even shot particularly well from three, but yet is still a positive influence because he doesn't take a ton of bad shots. Doesn't really you know, is always in the right place, doesn't need to use a ton of possessions. And then where he really shines is defensively. His defensive numbers are are, are quite good. He's one of the better defensive guards by our numbers in the league. He's a classic, good. he's a classic knows how to play basketball guy. They had to play yeah. like the first game, he just shows up right before the game. And he plays like 30 minutes. And he has this one play where um, he gets thrown the ball on the left. Tatum get, Tatum gives it up. White, dry, White gets it. He drives, which is the right move. He draws like three people over, kicks it back out on the right side, but then keeps moving, comes back for the three and then gets it back. Like he made like yeah. three really smart plays with movement, which if you'd watched the Celtics the last couple of years, it wasn't exactly a movement friendly team yeah. and stuff like that start. Then other guys start moving. And, you know, I do think it's infectious, but pick swaps, man, pick swaps I took. To me, it's like top three. How about top three protected for the pick swap? Yeah. And that's it. Or or I'm hanging up. Um, but I I actually, you know, of course the Celtics smart gets hurt, Williams gets hurt right when things are looking awesome. But I I was becoming a believer because the defense was there. And you look at it wasn't just the winning streak, it was since December 31st, the defense was the best defense. The defense in the league. was awful at the start of the season because they were switching everything and the players didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, it was took a while for them to kind of figure it out, and then now they've kind of figured it out. They they are the most switch heavy team in defensively in the NBA, so it makes sense that they want to trade for a guard who can guard up a few positions because he's going to be guarding in switches. So I can see why they made that deal uh, for him. I think he'll help their defense. But yeah, they're they're an outlier in terms of how much they switch relative to the rest of the league. You can also switch if you have White and Smart and Tatum and Brown out there all at the same time. You can basically switch on everything in the perimeter. And the big thing that happened this year was Rob Williams, who was a disaster anytime he got switched, right? He yeah, yeah. was always two seconds late on whatever three was coming. This year, he's been pretty good. So now, I I just think they're hard to play if they can get everyone healthy. And I, I got to be honest, like, I don't see anyone in the East that I'm terrified of. I would say Milwaukee is would be, if gun to my head, the pick. I would want Miami is kind of the sleeper just because I want to see what they look like when Lowry is finally healthy and looking good for a month. Now he's also old. We may never see that, but if we can see a stretch from Lowry that he really looks like Lowry again, I think they have to be taken seriously. I'm, I don't, I don't feel nearly as strongly about Philly and Brooklyn. And the more I look at the Philly deal um, and especially like, losing Curry in that thing too, who was one of the few people that gave them a little movement and a little unpredictability. And now I just feel like, I, I think they're going to, as weird as this sounds, going to be pretty predictable offensively. And I'm not sure that deal is going to work. 
that predictability is not necessarily a downside. I mean, if you're like, I don't think you have to be unpredictable if you have a guy who can, they're going to, they're going to draw so many free throws. That's the part. I think that people are, yep. are they're going to be living at the free throw line and that has a bunch of different knock on effects. It reduces the, if you're playing a team that doesn't have a lot of depth, those players are going to be in foul trouble. Um, they're a tough, tough team to match up with because you need to play a big to guard Embiid. So you now you've got to alter your game plan a little bit. There's very few teams that are comfortable playing a big at all times. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. Like the, who knows how they'll how they'll how they'll actually fit together. Uh, there's this idea that Harden really needs a rim running or a, you know a five out type of scheme to be successful because that's how he's been successful in the past. But I'm sure he can adjust his game. Um, the one thing I think will be interesting is how much they stagger those two because that will be fun. I mean, being able to just have like an Embiid squad and then a Harden squad with, with, with space around him. They don't have a ton of shooting, unfortunately, after they gave up Curry. Um, but I don't know. I think you have to make that deal. I think both teams benefited from that deal. I mean, I think where Philadelphia was a little bit disappointed was I think they thought there was a chance they could keep Simmons and then also like get him and get him in, get him, you know, recoup whatever organizational failures they've had and relation, you know, relationship issues that they had with him and the, and the team. I think they thought, well, if we can get this right and then sign Harden in the offseason somehow, if they can fi- find a buyer for some contracts, that's what they wanted to do. Because I think they thought they were going to get Harden in the offseason anyways. Um, they have to shed some salary, but I'm sure they would be able to make it happen. And then now they have to actually give up Simmons or do two separate deals and get Harden for free. I think they just decide to do it now, get it over and done with. They, yeah, who knows? It's tricky. I mean, they're they're going to be tough. They're going to be tough. I think they're going to be they'll be the biggest variance. I mean, the, the spread between how good they'll be and how bad they'll be is massive because it's just super unpredictable. And I think you can make the same case for Brooklyn. I think both those teams are just, are just going to be super interesting to watch down the stretch because uh, nobody can really accurately say how it's going to play out. I think people can guess, but it's going to be really tough to call. I think Brooklyn, well, I think Brooklyn's going to be good. I think Brooklyn uh, adding Simmons defensively is huge. Um, they can play it, you know, they can play him as a primary. He doesn't need to take shots. They've got guys who can shoot. They've got Durant, who's, you know, as good as it gets offensively, literally. And so, yeah, it'll be, um, it'll be interesting to watch. I mean, I think they have a chance. I mean, who, who knows? Also, they might, you know, at some point down the road, Kyrie might be able to play home games. Again, I know they've talked, the mayor's talked a little bit about being conflicted there. If that happens now, that's a completely different situation. The fact that he can't, not to get on is, 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 is absurd to me that he, that, that you, a visiting player who's unvaccinated can play in Brooklyn, but it's been done the whole time. It, no, honestly, yeah, I think they realize they realize it. So maybe that'll change. Maybe it won't, but yeah, I think, I think it'll be fun. Both those teams to answer your question. Who's a wild. I mean, in the East Miami's pretty old, but they're going to be tough in the playoffs. Milwaukee seems to be the team to beat, but we'll find out the East is going to be lit. I mean, that's going to be the playoffs that everyone's going to want to watch. I think, I mean, I'm going to, it's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. It flipped. I I think with Philly and Brooklyn, the more I've been looking at it, the, when you talk about the variance, the two things for Philly, for me are, is Embiid, am I, am I getting him a hundred percent or 95% the rest of the way? Right. Because it's a lot to ask. He's missed a lot of games over the years and he'll he'll disappear for two weeks and whatever. He's been pretty healthy this year and he seems like he's in good shape. But then you have the Harden piece 
where he's been, he's had issues with his legs the last two years. He's getting older. We know about his lifestyle, which has been reported about in multiple places. And he's hitting that age where, you know, we've seen guys kind of go sideways. We saw it. Iverson's the worst case example of this, but Iverson went from 27 a game to he was out of the league in two years, you know? And so I wonder about the durability of those two guys, which is weird to worry about Harden's durability when he played like every game for 10 years. But the yeah. durability of those guys going through four playoff rounds. And Iverson had, Iverson had some off the court stuff that probably I know he impacted. did. Yeah. I'm aware, but I, well, I'm not sure Harden doesn't. Well, I and don't then think... I mean, the Iverson stuff was, I, I think, a lot different than Harden just likes to go out. I don't think Harden's like... Yeah, you know, it's, it's not, certainly not. I know what you're saying. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The, the Brooklyn piece, it's just people are now penciling Ben Simmons into being the Ben Simmons that he we saw before he melted down in the playoffs. And I, I would just like to see it. I'd like to see it for a few weeks. Um, I would like to see him shoot free throws in a one-point game and a minute left on the road. I would like to see how he handles, people you know, booing in different I, I, places. I think, I think people overreact, and I don't think he did himself any favors. People definitely overreacted to that playoff series um, and just they assume did. that that's who he is. Like, that he, I mean, I don't know. Like, yes, he passed that shot at the last whatever and, and could have went up, got fouled, shot free throws, or could have tried to make the layup when he passed out of it. And that was obviously bad, detrimental to his team. But it just kind of shows you the kind of world we live in where every little move gets micromanaged and talks about for years. Like that happened last year's playoffs. People forget that. I don't know. I mean, he was a decent, he was, he, he's, he's never, he hasn't been this his whole career. He was an okay free throw shooter earlier on in his career. It's not like free throw shootings, this magical thing that's so difficult to do. And I do, I think he'll ever be a three point shooter. Probably not. But um, he, he hasn't done himself any favors by the way he's refused to kind of acknowledge the weaknesses in his game and, and, and improve upon them. But I think people are giving him too difficult a time here to think that he's just, uh, you know, his mental state is, and now mind you, he has claimed that he's <laughs> part of the reason why he can't play is because of his mental state. So that's, that's fair that people are saying that, but I don't think he's like just a perennial choker. I don't think he's a guy who's just going to choke for the rest of his life or anything like that. I mean, people get better, they improve. Um, it'll be interesting to see. He's still very young. It's a different situation, different environment. It can't be fun to have your coach talk about you the way that happened right immediately after a loss. That couldn't have been fun. And he, ba so he barely think, said anything. I, said, I just, asked, how about just, how about just, I mean, I don't know. You're, 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 it's hard because you lose these games and then you're forced to go and talk about how you lost in front of everybody. And I get that. But if someone says, do you think you can win it? A championship or you think he's a player you can build around or whatever the question was like can you win a championship with ben simmons it's like answering like i don't know right now like i mean it just seems like such a weird it was just such a passive aggressive, and, and maybe he didn't in, in mean to be in that way it just seemed like such a passive aggressive dig at a player who just had like probably the lowest point of his career and maybe yeah maybe i don't know maybe there's more to it maybe the guy was a maybe he was a jerk all year and there's a reason for it but it definitely spun the situation in such a way where it became um, untenable. So I'm glad wow. both teams were able to move on and, and, and kind of, you know, get, you know, he's, he's in a different spot now. He's got to play with completely different vibe, different team. It'll be interesting to watch. I don't know if it was worth sacrificing $20 million because your coach kind of hurt your feelings. Well, maybe not. Maybe he doesn't care about money. I mean, 
maybe he's maybe he thinks he's gonna get the money back. I, listen, his, I, if I'm 25 years old and I'm still trying to get better, I don't know how it helps me not to play basketball. I, nobody will ever convince me otherwise that that's a good idea. Yeah, no, I'm definitely agreeing with you there. Also, that's, also, it wasn't just that he passed up the dunk; it was the fact that. In he didn't want to get from the free throw line. He didn't want to shoot. He didn't want to get fouled. It was, I watched this happen with Antoine Walker with the Celtics, where once that gets in your head and it starts changing how you play, that that's a real thing. That's not a funk. Like he you didn't want to get fouled. Who else struggled with the, at the free throw line and wasn't super crazy about shooting free throws in a playoff series? Was shooting fifty percent. Giannis. People forget they're counting to ten. You know, he, and then, and then in the final game, he went like 19 to 25 or something or 21 or some, some ridiculous number. So I'm not, I mean, look, I'm not comparing Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons work ethic to Giannis. Obviously Giannis is a different breed. He's going to work. He's going to get better. He's also probably mentally tougher. He grew up in a pretty difficult situation probably. in terms of, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I just think it's a little bit early to write a guy off who has that talent and who is in a new situation that, by all accounts, should be positive. I mean, it's going to be kind of a messed up situation though, too. You got Kyrie, this different cat for sure. And then you've got Durant, who's a very, I mean, it's it, it has a chance to go really bad. I'm not going to lie, but it's going to be fun to watch. That's for sure. The red flag to me, other than the fact that he just decided not to play basketball for eight months, is I just get nervous when guys don't have that maniac. If you're one of the best 15, 20 players in the league, you're making big money and you don't have that maniacal urge to just keep getting better. Yeah. Right. I I think that is over and over again. If you just look at anything about why is somebody great versus why didn't they get there? It's the work ethic piece. And it's like you mentioned Giannis. Giannis is fearless. Like he he was never afraid of a moment. He didn't care that he wasn't. A, he would miss two free throws in a row in a finals game. And then he would make the next two. Like he he never seemed like he was scared of the moment. And he really did work to keep improving and adding things to his game. And I just didn't see it from Simmons. I didn't see him really adding anything. And I was one of his bigger fans because I think I really valued what he did defensively and I valued his transition stuff. And um, I thought he was one of the best 20 players in the league. I thought Houston should have traded for him in the Harden trade versus what they got from Brooklyn. But after last playoffs, like I, he really has to prove it to me. It just can't be like, I'm on a new team. I have a new number. Yeah, everything you said is very fair. I mean, look, he doesn't, he isn't diligent. It doesn't seem like he's, added anything or much to his game since he's got nothing. Through. Yeah. Are you yeah. better at shooting threes? Are you better at shooting free throws? Do you have a better low post game? What are you better at than you were in 2019? His low post game is pretty good. I think um, his, he's definitely good in space. He didn't come into the league an awful three point or a free throw shooter. He just was, didn't want to shoot threes. And then the Went free throws coming later on. Yeah. I'm not sure what happened. Who knows? Um, let's take a break. I want to talk about Brooklyn quickly. Just to put a bow on Brooklyn. So uh, let's concede, let's say Simmons is at least as good as he was in the 2019 playoffs when they lost to Kawhi. Let's say Kyrie is able to play every playoff game and that he can somehow stay in the four. Let's say Durant's legs are okay and that he can get back to 95% of where he was. Let's say Curry fits in. Do you still like this team to win four straight playoff rounds? What else needs to happen? Um, Patty Mills, I guess, would be the fifth. So... Mills, Curry, Kyrie, Durant, Simmons. They don't have a lot of they don't have a lot of defense. Let's just be clear. Um, they don't play a particularly analytically friendly game of basketball, so they're leaving a lot of points on the table there. You could argue, although they do have guys who are very good at taking the shots that they're taking, so it might be it's moot. But like you know, 
Marcus Aldridge, you know, 18 feet away from the basket, banging away long twos. He's been pretty good at it. Um, Katie obviously is the best in the world at that shot. So that's fine. Um, but they don't take a ton of threes. Maybe Curry changes that. I don't know, man. Like people don't, people forget they were like an inch away from getting to the finals last year. Yeah. Or, right. or getting to whatever, to the next round past Milwaukee. I mean, I'm sure they would have, sure they would have handled. But we think line. the East is way better this year. I mean, whoever they play in round one is going to be considerably better than that Celtics team they played last year. Yeah, probably. I mean, the East is very tough. I mean, do I know? I mean, I, I think that they're overrated for sure in terms of, I think they, I thought they've been overrated all year, even prior to like the vaccine mandate stuff for that, that, that halves Kyrie's production. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see it, but they also have guys who are, it'll be interesting to see though, because the defense will change a lot with Simmons. Their, their full court transition game will change a lot. It'll be, I, I think the argument that Harden, I don't, I don't think Harden, Irving, and when all three are available, Harden, Irving, and Durant really fit well together anyways. It was kind of like a your turn, my turn type thing. Yeah. And none of them really defend very well with the exception of Durant, I guess, is a good defender. So I think they'll be, I think they'll be better with Simmons than they will be with, than they were with Harden. I'll say that just because of fit. I don't think Simmons is a better player. I just think he's a better fit. They'll defend better. They'll have one less guy who needs the ball. If I were a betting man, I would probably say the best team in the East is, is, is still Milwaukee. That would be me. Um, until proven otherwise, I think they are. And then after that, it could be any one of a number of teams. Chicago is pretty good too, by the way. I haven't even talked about Chicago once. They're pretty good too. I wanted to. FanDuel has Milwaukee as the favorites in the East at plus 260 and Brooklyn at plus 300, which yeah. I don't understand. Philly's plus 330. Miami's plus 550. I like Miami more than the last two teams I just mentioned. Celts are 11 to 1. Chicago's 15 to 1. And I think it's because 15 to 1 seems high to me because right now Chicago's the one seed. There's only 23 games left in the season. They're not, odds are they're not going to fall past the three seed, even if they lose some stuff. But I think they'll get Caruso back. They'll get, um, they might get Pat Williams back. Levine has some, they're talking about he's getting his knee checked out, stuff like that. But there is a world where they get all their guys back. And plus some of the guys, like the rookie point guard they have, some of the guys they've had to play in the absence of some of these other guys have actually come through in different ways. You know, even Kobe White. Um, so I, I'm with you. I'm not ruling them out. There's four and a half games separating first in the East from the play-in. <laughs> right. crazy. That's insane. So if it, I, so Toronto is seven at third. They're 32 and 25. We're taping this Thursday afternoon Pacific. Brooklyn's eight at 31 and 27. And they're only two wins ahead of Charlotte. So it's probably going to be Brooklyn, Charlotte, Atlanta, and then one of Philly, Boston, Toronto in the play-in. And there's a really good chance Brooklyn would have to win both playing games on the road because you figure they're going to not be great for at least a couple more weeks until Durant comes back. So they okay. could be a nine seed, something like that. Um, I just would not want to have all my playoff rounds on the road. I would, I would not want a situation where it's just every round. It's like just that game seven on the road is hanging over you. I think that's too hard. I think it with uh, them, it might benefit them though, because they, they will all have their full roster on the road games versus the home games, unless the mandate changes. Right. I mean, to them, it might be a benefit to be on the road. Kyrie will be able to play road games. will be able to play home games. So to them, it might be a benefit. Listen, if the mandate doesn't change by that point, we're all in trouble because that we're just being, the society is uh, insane. Um, well, it's just to be clear, it's just the New York mandate. But yeah, no, I, I get you. it. But then you go on the other side, 
it's Phoenix and Golden State. They're both basically two to one to win the West. Memphis is 41 and 19. So they're only a game and a half beyond Golden State. They're in the three spot. They're 14 to one to win the West. And then it drops to that Utah, Dallas, Denver, Minnesota. It's it's basically three teams, in my opinion. Dallas has a semi-wild card just because of Luka. And then Denver has a semi-wild card just because of Jokic and the Murray possibilities. But I wanted to talk about Jokic because, and we do this with the narrative stuff, right? Curry was the MVP. First of all, we, 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 we're we in this new cycle where the MVP has to be decided after 10 games. But it's Curry's the MVP. And it's like, oh, no, no, actually Embiid's the MVP. First of all, Embiid and Giannis have the exact same stats. And Giannis's team is slightly better. But if you just look at, you just compare Giannis is 29, 11, and six. Embiid's 29, 11, and five. Giannis is 55% shooting. Embiid's 49. Like you go on through and it's like, they're basically even. The outlier of this season that it's just nobody wants to talk about is Jokic. Jokic yeah. is averaging 26, 14, and eight. He's shooting 57%. He's a borderline 57, 40, 80 guy. And here's who he's playing with. Aaron Gordon, Will Barton, Monte Morris. Jeff Green, Austin Rivers, Compazzo, Brent Forbes, who just joined the team. They're 33 and 25. They're, they're, um, they're one game behind Philly. He, to me, he's clearly the MVP right now as we head to the All-Star break, but I think most people have him third. Yeah, I think their record isn't quite good enough. I think you have to be one of the, the exception of the Westbrook year where he averaged a triple-double. You've pretty much got to be like a top three or whatever seed in your in your conference. Well, Philly's a five seed, so why? And Philly's yeah, no, a five seed look, and Denver's a six seed. You, you rattled off all those Jokic stats. The craziest stat is that I've seen is they're scoring 103 points per possession with him off the floor and 118 with him on the floor. That's like one of the biggest like differences I've seen. I mean, and defensively, by the way, they're, they're it's similar. It's like 115 with him off and 109 with him on. I mean, they are so much better with him on. His on-off numbers are breaking models. I mean, it's it's absurd how good his on-off numbers are. And some of it is the fact that his backups are awful. But the other part of it is, is he's just they're just he's just such a good player. He's such a tough player to to, to, to game plan against. He's so unique. Uh, but yeah, he could be the MVP. I think if I'm doing the MVP, it's one of those. One of those, but Curry, I mean, by the way, Curry's pretty tough too. I mean, they're all, it's like such a difficult, it's such a difficult, uh, yeah, it's such a difficult year to call it. I think, I mean, I would say Curry, Embiid, Giannis, Jokic. I wouldn't really be upset with any one of those guys, really. Maybe. Yeah. I wouldn't be upset with any one of those guys being MVP. The thing with Jokic, now, why he played the Celtics on Friday night and he didn't have an awesome game. The Celtics actually did a pretty good job with him and he still ended up with like 27, 10, and nine assists, but he had like nine turnovers. But he's like replicated that the gut, like the college team in March Madness that's built around the one guy and he just does everything. And you're like, wow, that guy's fucking awesome. And look at he's playing with like these cute shooters and like these little like frisky rebounders. But like he's clearly the moment he goes out of the game, you feel like it's going to fall apart. I can't believe, first of all, I've never seen a player like him in my life. And we talked about this last year and he, I'm, I'm not breaking any new ground with the Jokic thing. I can't believe how much he handles the ball this year. I don't feel like he handled it this much. Like he's just, there's possessions where he gets a rebound and he doesn't even give it up to anybody. He just dribbles up and it's like he's initiated the offense. Like he's yeah. Magic Johnson or of, something. Lack of, Mur- lack of Murray being around. I mean, Murray right. was never had the two-man game usually with 
Jokic setting the screen and Murray handling the ball. So I think Noah Murray has done that a little bit. Yeah, he's he's always handled the ball a lot, but he's certainly handled it a lot more since not, the gone, for sure. Yeah, not like this, where it's almost like he's like a point center. And and he would do that some from time to time last year, but this year he just does everything for them. Now, Embiid does is was doing a lot close to everything in crunch time too for Philly. But I think the thing that's jumped out to me, and you know, I think we look I think we look at the same stuff like the last five minutes, the shots teams get at crunch time, what they're doing. Like I just think that last five minutes is so different than the first forty three. Jokic just gets everything. I don't look at any of those things. Just to be no, clear. no, I no. When you're watching basketball, <laughs> yeah, I only watch the last five minutes of game. Let's be perfectly honest. Now I'm I'm half half retired, so to me, I'm just flipping around through, through the last five minutes for sure. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, yeah, it's different. It's completely different. The shots that he creates, either for himself, like I was thinking about. I was talking to somebody today, a buddy of mine, and we were talking about like Golden State said, "We're just we just we're not going to double you. We're just not." Yeah. We'll single and just kill us. Like, that's fine. But it almost reminds me of football with Mahomes where the teams are like, we're just dropping eight back. If you want to rush seven yards of carry, go for go it. Go ahead. Take, take, you can take yeah. the seven yards, but we're not letting Mahomes throw deep. We're just not. Everybody's going to be back. And with Jokic, it's like, just take your two points. That's where yeah. we've gotten with him because the moment you double him, everybody just gets a wide open, whatever. And then at the end of the game, and you saw it yesterday with the shot that he created for the game winning three, like, he just gets everybody incredible shots. Who would be more fun to play with than him? Other than no, maybe Chris Paul. Well, him, him him, or, I mean, Luca's pretty fun to play with too in terms of the types of shots you get as long as you don't mind him having the ball eight, you know, 95% of the game. Right. Um, you're going you're gonna to get fed. Uh, yeah, no, Jokic is like, definitely pick your poison. I don't, I don't really know what the right way to defend him is. I think, I think you have to mix it up and give him different looks. I do think you want to rely on, I think most teams in the playoffs will basically at some point make their non-shooters. You know, there's not great shooting guys around him. Like Monte Morris hit one the other night. He's not a bad shooter, but he's not like a knockdown shooter. Aaron Gordon's not like a knockdown shooter from three. Um, Compazzo certainly isn't. Rivers certainly isn't. Like, so I think as, as the playoffs go, I think you'll see teams will game fine a little bit to let, you know, let the other guys kind of beat you. But um, it'll probably vary from game to game. The other guy who was really tough to beat, obviously you talked about it a little bit, was Chris Paul in crunch time because that's, I mean, their crunch time record's absurd. It's absolutely, I think it's like 21 and three or something. Did you see like that, that stat? I saw John Schumann on, uh, on Twitter had it where it was like, is one of the four greatest um, crunch time stats so far, clutch stats, like in the history of the league, since they've been measuring it in 1986. Sure. It was like, I think the 07 Mavs were the only team that didn't make the finals out of the other ones, but it was, you know, it was on that level. But they, they're basically 24 and three in crunch time. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> just like mean, insane. It was 21 and three when I looked last and now it's like 24 and three. I yeah, know it's absurd. And it's the type of thing where you just, there's no defense against it. You know, he's getting to that, that elbow jumper from two and you're just hoping he misses it. And you're going to get like, he's going to spam four or five of them over the last three minutes. And it's just very, very, yeah. And then if you overhelp, he's going to find someone who's rolling. I mean, he's just very difficult really a master at that for sure. They're a frustrating Here, team to play. So it's Phoenix is number one. Golden State in 2015-16, they were 30 and four. Dallas yeah. in 06, 07 was 32 and six. The league was really weak that year. So I think that partially explains it. And then yeah. uh, Miami 2013, 32 and eight. That's to me really good company. And the, the other thing, it's 
And this is why I don't think Chris has a chance for the MVP. Booker's been so good for them. He's Mm. basically been 30 a game for, I don't know, six, seven, eight weeks. But the shots that he's getting for himself when they really need to at the end of games, like he's getting like the highest end possible two guard shots and he's making them and they just have so many different options. And then defensively, they get stops and Bridges can guard. I mean, how many guys other than Giannis can guard four positions like Bridges? You know, that list, the list in the entire league is less than 10 or 11. He got all five, yeah. Super Um, rare. Yeah, so I I watch them and I actually, I'm surprised they have the same odds as Golden State. I think they should be the prohibitive favorite at this point because they're going to, they're easily going to get the one seed. Every playoff series is going to have to go through them. And they've shown us nothing the entire season. They got better with Biombo and McGee. Like they definitely, they're not in that Kaminsky situation that they were in last finals. Like those guys can at least, they have six fouls apiece. They can rim run a little. They can protect the rim a little. But I just think they're better. And I think they know, I think it's another year of playing together. There's familiarity. And I would be, if they don't get injured, I would be really surprised that they didn't win the title because I think they are the best team. Really? I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not ready to call them the best team. They're definitely in the conversation. I mean, that this is, I talked about this the other day is the idea that there's a best team and the best team wins is kind of like nonsense to me anyways. I mean, people don't realize how, like there's several, several teams that have a chance to win a title and one of them will win and it doesn't necessarily mean they were there. Now, maybe they might've been the team that made their shots. Therefore, they were the best team then, but they're not necessarily the best team like from an evaluation standpoint. But yeah, they're in the conversation. But like 2017 Golden State was the best team. They were winning. If we do the season 10 times, they're winning nine and a half of the 10 times. Right. But there's been so many other, like the Lakers, the year they won in the bubble, like, I mean, they went nuclear from like KCP was shooting some ridiculous number. Um, Yeah. David Rondo. Yeah. All of these guys were shooting. They, they, you know, they definitely shot outside of, of their career averages or out of their expectation. And so, yeah, the best team, I mean, yeah, I mean, Phoenix is Phoenix and Golden State are definitely head and shoulders or above the other teams in the West, but I don't know. And, and also like part of it is also just who you match up with. Like they Phoenix may match up better against a specific East opponent, but worse against another. And it just so happens that that other one advances because of how they match up. Like there's that, there's that part of it. There's a whole lot of, you know, incidental things that can happen that can determine who wins. Phoenix is definitely in the conversation though, for sure. I guess the question for me, I just can't find one a prohibitive favorite, maybe a favorite, not prohibitive. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to push back and zag on you. I guess my question for me is, is, is Phoenix better than people realize? Because I actually think they might be like a legitimately great team. You think like they started out, they started out one and three. So since then they're 47 and seven, 47 and seven with how deep the league is this year. And, and you have some weird COVID stuff too, obviously all over the place. But to me, 47 and seven is like, that's, you're on like a 70 win pace at that point. And the fact that over and over again, anytime they're in a game, where it's tight with four minutes left, I feel like they're going to win. It's the first team in a while where I'm just like that. They always win these. Like when prove to me, they're not going to win. They win every time. So no, I'm with, you, I'm with you there. I mean, I definitely agree that in a close game, people are sleeping on how good they have been. That is a hundred percent sure. Like yeah. they, they, they have 10 losses. The next best there, there's seven games up on the next best team or something like that. Um, I think the one thing that people are discounting though, a little bit is, you know, 
Paul's played 58 games. Bridges played 58 games. Booker's played 51 to 58 games. They haven't had a lot of injuries to their key guys. Right. And so that's a part of it. But now you could say that if the same were true for some of these other teams, maybe they would. But, but in terms of the West, I mean, yeah, they're the best team in the West. How they match up against, I mean, that series versus Golden State, if we're lucky enough to see one, that'll be a series for the ages. That'll be great. Um, they're a very well, tough team. I mean, they got two guys who can score from all areas of the court. That's very tough to defend against. Golden State is, I think, going to settle into the two unless Memphis somehow passes them. But Golden State's looking at playing the winner of the playing tournament, right? Because that'll be the seventh seed. Yeah. That could be, you know, who knows? Talk about variance. That could be this Lakers team where just LeBron and Davis are in a good groove and it doesn't really matter who the other three guys on the, you know, Austin Reeves somehow becomes the shooter they need. Who knows? I, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't love seeing them in a playoff series. I think Golden State would beat them, but I wouldn't, I, especially when I saw LeBron, if he still wants to be, it can be really great. I wouldn't want to see him in a playoff series. I don't care who his teammates are. And if Davis could just stay on the floor for two months, I'm less, worried about the, I'm less worried about the Lakers in a playoff series if I'm those teams and I would be like a healthy Lakers, whatever, then I would be like a healthy Clippers. Well, that's, but that's the next variance team. It's like, yeah. I don't know what Clippers team, like what if Paul George and Kawhi are back? I, I that yeah. seven seed is scary. Paul George and Kawhi are back. You can make the argument they're, that they're the best team in the NBA, in my opinion. Right. I mean, well, especially they add Powell and they, all the pieces they have, all the, all the yeah, reps of these guys. I mean, think, look at, we were talking about wing defenders and how valuable they are. You can go down the list of how many of the Clippers have when healthy. It's a joke. Marcus Morris, Paul George, Kawhi. Covington. Covington. Yeah. I mean, there's four right there. I think I'm forgetting one. Um, Batum is another. Batum, can five. Yeah. And then, and then, you can, then there's guys like a step below, like Terrence Mann. Norm Powell's not really a great defender, but Norm Powell, you can put in the conversation. Um, they are... Now, what they, the only thing they're lacking is they don't have like a ball handling, like dominant penetrating point guard who can break down the defense. I guess you can make the argument that Jackson's that guy, but he's not like getting into the paint at will. But I, I'm just I mean, going to tell you right now, you've, you've mortally offended the Clipper fans because they will tell you Reggie Jackson is that guy. He's good, man. I mean, he's, <laughs> he is, I don't, I don't think he's not good. I just, he's just not like he he's, he's more from the perimeter. He's not breaking down the defense and getting in layups and stuff. Those guys are pretty, those guards are really where I'm talking about like a Morant's guys that finish at the rim guys who can do can operate out of the pick and roll. But yeah, he's, he was probably one of the better signings. Him and Batum were probably some of the better signings over the last three years that you can think of value. I mean, Batum was not playing well at all in Charlotte. They picked no. him up. I mean, Batum completely shut down, uh, Jalen Brunson last year in the playoffs, like completely shut him down. Now that was something that was like devastating to the Mavs ability to win games. Just like you just basically taking away your second best offensive player because Batum's on him. That's tough stuff to deal with. Golden State could be in a situation where they play the Clippers in round one. <laughs> they played Memphis in round two. Yeah. And Phoenix in round three. Yeah, that's a that's fucking tough. gauntlet. That and then you gauntlet. go on the other side, like, I don't know. What, let's say Brooklyn's the seventh seed. So let's say let's say Miami gets the two well, seed. Brooklyn what? could very. I mean, the, the East is so difficult to talk about because it's like Cleveland right now is thirty five, and they could very thirty five wins. They could very easy, you know, twenty three losses. They could two losses. Now they're they're they've they've flipped with where Toronto is. 
So it's like, yeah, if we were to end right now, I mean, I guess it depends on when KD's coming back, when Simmons will play. But yeah, they could be in the plane or they could be like the three or four seed. That could happen too. It's just really, really up in the air, in my opinion. Um, well, let's there's say... Too, there's too, there's too, too few games between those teams. Let's say Brooklyn's the seventh seed and you're the two seed and you could potentially have Brooklyn in round one and Milwaukee in round two and you haven't even <laughs> played in the conference finals yet. I think these yeah. playoffs are going to be amazing. I really do. I'm really excited for them because even if you look, usually we have one of the two conferences yeah, and there's just two shit first round matchups. We're like, oh man, this team, really? Or, oh, that team's going to get swept. I don't, the West on paper would have those teams but not if the Clippers and Lakers can kind of get their shit together if they both make it. And Minnesota, yeah. I'm not, I'm not 100% against Minnesota either. I think they, I mean, there's you a, could be 100% against Minnesota. Like they're in the, you know, they're not in the conversation for winning a playoff series. I don't think. No, uh, but I think they are in that kind of. I could see them being the irrational confidence round one team that wins game one and people are like, oh my God, they're going to win. And then they lose, but could at least like yeah. get a couple of haymakers. Get up to the six, if they were managed to get up to the sixth seed and play like Memphis, I could see that being an interesting series. Um, or maybe if they played, yeah, I don't know who else they could really, the Jazz, if they somehow managed to get, but they're, they're probably not getting up to the sixth seed or the five, so they're certainly not getting to the five seed. But question is, will they get to the, get out of the plan? The plan is going to be deadly. I mean, you have, you have those three teams, uh, Especially, I mean, you got Brooklyn That's on, really on one side, the Lakers and the Clippers on the other side. I mean, that, that, if, that, if those are your plans, if those are your playing teams, that's that's a boon for the NBA right there. And then you have Portland as a 10 seed going, we've been trying to tank for a month. All we did was salary <laughs> dump. How are we in a play-in? We, we were trying to get like a top five pick. Um, yeah, before- surprisingly well of late, well, relative to where they were at the start of the season, that's for sure. I didn't see it with Simons. That's why it's so tough to give up on some of these guys where all of a sudden Simons looks like this legitimate all-star guy. He was very young when he came into the NBA. So there's that. I mean, people forget how difficult it is. I mean, it's so rare to have like someone who's like under the age of 20 dominate or even be good. Like he was, he was awful at the start of his career. Like, let's just be clear. Like his numbers were turning the ball over, couldn't pass, couldn't do that. And now he's like a very, he's turned into a very good player. But I didn't see it with him either. I was just like, this guy's, but you have to look at how old he is and how much experience he has. And I'm not sure what his, you know, I forget how old he is, but he's, he's, he's quite, he was quite young when he came into the NBA. Uh, Hal Burton versus Sabonis, who won that trade quickly? I think Indiana won that trade pretty clearly. I think Sabonis is like a good player, but for this epoch of basketball, doesn't really defend well in space, can't shoot the three, can't really space out to the three-point line. It's really tough to survive and have to be to be a dominant player if you're not like dominant defensively and you can't space the three-point line. And yeah, he's... Whereas Halliburton's like, Halliburton's not like a, you know, superstar or anything like that, but he's a, you know, he's a very, very efficient player. He's still young. He's still developing. I, I, I was pretty high on him and coming into the draft. Um, yeah, I think Indiana wins that trade pretty clearly. Plus they got, they got healed, which I thought they could have moved for another, you know, it's just, it's just unclear to me what they're trying to accomplish. Are they looking to be good next year? Or are they trying to rebuild? It seems like they're trying to be good next year. Yeah. But I don't know what that means, what that definition of good means to them. But, um, but yeah, I think they clearly, in my opinion, clearly won the trade, but we'll see what see how it plays out. I love Halbert. 
Yeah, that's hard. I not just, to like. I hated the trade for Sacramento, and I'm I actually like Sabonis a lot more than you, but I just I would not have given him a Palbert. And then when you read the Players Tribune piece where he's like, "This broke my heart." <laughs> I, didn't I, I believed in, I believed in Sacramento. I didn't want to leave. And it's like, you traded the one guy who didn't, who didn't want to leave Sacramento. What are you doing? There's a yeah. potential all-star who likes it in Sacramento. You traded him. Well, Jesus. the writing was on the wall when they drafted him and then also drafted Davian Mitchell and paired that with Fox. Three guys all playing kind of the same position or, or role. Uh, they had to get rid of one of them. But they're trying to get rid of Fox. They just couldn't pull it up. Probably. Yeah. Tough under contract, but yeah. One more break and then we're going to quickly talk about um, crypto and Bitcoin and NFTs. All right. So we'll just make this like a short segment, but Bitcoin, how are we feeling? Um, I'm a long view guy. I mean, I think like if you're following what's happening around the world, it's pretty hard not to be bullish on Bitcoin. We talked a little bit about the self-sovereignty aspect of it, the uncensorability aspect of it. You have governments around the world kind of, I mean, what happened in Canada, I know you follow the Canadian trucker convoy thing, but uh, basically anyone who donated to that movement is deemed a terrorist at this point in Canada and subject to having their bank account frozen or closed or both. Uh, so I think in that, in that world, Bitcoin is is pretty bullish. I think also you factor in the what's going on kind of in Eastern Ukraine and and, and Russia right now, um, where these countries are less and less reliant on the U.S. dollar, less and less kind of depending on the U.S. army to be their uh, kind of the police of the world. And so I don't know. Yeah, I'm 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 I, nothing has changed since last time we talked. Still bullish. I think the price has gone down a little bit. Say it's maybe down ten percent or something like that for taping on a Thursday. But yeah, I would be I would be looking at Bitcoin closely. I think it's just like dummy insurance, in my opinion. It's just like you can buy it, you can have like three to five percent of your whatever your portfolio in Bitcoin, and it's just it's never going to change. You're never going to have to worry about some law being changed in your. I mean, worry about being banned. I suppose that would be very bad for the price of Bitcoin. But even if they banned it, like countries that have banned it haven't been able to stop it in some ways. Like China banned it, uh, India banned it. The price hasn't really gone down. Um, it'll kind of find a way to go to a jurisdiction where it's 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 appreciated. And I think the first country that really kind of puts it on their balance sheet, I think that'll create a game theory cascade of events um, to where it becomes more adopted as a form of like digital gold, I guess you'd call it. So it seems like it's going to go down more. Is there is there a point where you would like this is the time jump in? Um, it could go down more. I mean. I think like for me, if I saw it in the 30s again, like 31, 33, 34,000, I would probably be a lot more interested in buying a big portion. I think at these prices, it's kind of like, there's a lot of macro things that play right now in terms of interest, rate, interest rates are going up. Think about Bitcoin is the risk on asset. So when people want to be risk on, when the macro environment is good, then Bitcoin will outperform. It's like, it's like a hyper, hyper, hyper growth stock. So when the macro picture is good, Bitcoin will go up, it'll go up higher than the macro picture does. NASDAQ, it'll, it'll outperform the NASDAQ. When the NASDAQ goes down, it'll go down lower. It just outperforms. It's just hyper volatile in that way. So yeah, I would just be looking for prices to add. You could do dollar cost averaging if you want, or you could just not be a believer in it. That's fine too. I mean, it's not for everybody. Um, but for me, it's it's a nice way to hedge against like global uncertainty, definitely. What about NFTs? I'm not like super... I mean, I think NFTs are 
at the stage where, do you remember like when the dot-com phase or craze first happened and you had like uh, Peapod was like basically the Instacart before its time. And so like Peapod was a growth, but all they had all of these pets.com, all of these things that happened um, back then that were just ahead of its time. I think there was like a food, there was also like a food delivery service that was ahead of its time. I think NFTs are still very early. Like what they are now are basically cartoon, emoji, whatever profile pictures. That's really kind of scratching the surface of what an NFT could be. I think later on when people realize that they can be used to accrue ownership and value and royalties, like you can own an NFT that allows you to participate in some artist's music and you'll get like a share of every time the music generates revenue, you get a piece of that, there'll be that, there'll be a real estate aspect of it. Um, But for now, they're just kind of an art and a way to flex online, uh, a way to kind of show people that you have an NFT. I think they're like the gateway drug to crypto. They're easy to understand. People can... (laughs) Gateway drug. Yeah, they really are. Because like you try to explain Bitcoin to someone who doesn't like to a normie who doesn't know anything about, about crypto. And they're just, you can just see their eyes just start glossing over like, oh, I don't know. Like but you explain like, oh, you can buy this NFT and own it. And you're the only person who could own this NFT and you can prove that you own it. And it's a cartoon that looks like you. People are like, oh yeah, I love that. I want that. And, and, and it, it's interesting how that happens. It's, it's converting a lot of like people that you would not expect to be converted. Like it's interesting. So should I do the original 30 for 30 memo that I sent that that launched 30 for 30? Should I just make that an NFT? You could, or you could, or you could uh, do something really dumb like a doodle, and <laughs> which is just a drawing and that'll take <laughs> off too. I mean, it's kind of like the dumbest shit is what takes off. So it doesn't have to be super well thought out. It just I don't understand it. I, I, I honestly, I don't, I don't get it. This is one of the NFTs are one of the first things that I'm just like, I don't get it. Well, think about this. Like, so think about, so I believe in like, like very specific NFTs. Like I like the original 2017 era NFTs. Like CryptoPunks came out in 2017. They were free to anyone who wanted them. You could go and mint one. You could have one. Uh, and so that to me is like an art project that resonates with me. And they look like they're avatars. They look like they're, they're people. They're so it's almost like... You can- it's almost like the first Topps basketball series in yeah. 1957. Yeah, they weren't like the first NFT, but they were definitely one of the first NFTs and most certainly the most culturally relevant popular NFTs. So this past weekend on Super Bowl Sunday, someone bought an alien crypto punk. There's only nine aliens in the world. Someone paid $24 million for it. And that thing was given away for free in 2017 to anyone who wanted, who was able to claim it. Someone claimed it. And I believe one of the original holders then sold it to the guy who had it. And the guy who sold it, uh, sold it for $24 million. And it was a real deal. A lot of people are like, oh, it's fake. It's wash trading. I happen to know it's real because someone approached me to help mm. broker uh, introductions to people who did own aliens. And so um, definitely real. Someone definitely paid $24 million for a JPEG. <laughs> it's pretty insane. But hey, that's kind of the world we're living in. Uh, we need we need uh, NFTs of you on yacht trips around the world, just various pictures of you in different locations. Could that be an NFT series? Uh, someone someone has been taking some of my photos from social media and turning them into NFTs and sending them. Shut up. So, no, yeah, someone's been sending me pictures of my dog. Like, oh, I just finished this this picture. Like, I'll, <laughs> like so yeah, I guess it could happen. I don't know. There's definitely there's probably no market for it, but uh, aside from me, but yeah, it could definitely be a, an option for sure. All right, so you're out. You're out of the NBA. I'm out you of the might, NBA. There might be some ownership potential for you somewhere with something down the road. Who knows? Maybe some somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, Hopefully. 
you're in on the Bitcoin, you're in on the NFTs. What else? What what else is getting That's you going? That's it. All right. That's it. Playing a lot of tennis, trying to get my kick serve down. That's about it, really. Just just living. All right. It was good to see you. Yeah. Thanks for uh thanks for coming on. Well, I, before the uh playoffs start, you gotta come back on. For sure, hundred percent. All right, thanks. That's it for the podcast. Thanks to Bob. Thanks to Kyle Creighton, as always, for producing. Thanks to Steve Cerruti and Dylan Burke. Don't forget, I'm going to be on the Ringer Gambling Show on Friday, talking all-star weekend bets with Joe House and John Jastrzemski, who I just introduced on text recently. And it was probably a mistake because they are two degenerates who love golf and gambling and not in that order. And, uh, and I've probably lost both of them to each other. So there you go. I will see you over the weekend. Not sure what the plan is for Sunday yet, but uh, we'll, we'll have something. So see you on Sunday.